I'd now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Diane. Hi, I'm Diane. I just realized uh, I am a compulsive overreader. I just realized if I have to stand, I have to take off the high the shoes. Um, wow, this is this is fun. I, I don't think I've actually been to this room. I used to live here on the west side, and I went to a lot of meetings, but I've never been to this one. Um, I've been around the rooms for 21 and a half years. Um, at this point, I have an 11 and a half year abstinence. Um, thank you. Uh, I came into the. I didn't come into the rooms at my highest weight. Uh, but I did come in at my most desperate. Uh, my highest weight is probably between 205 and 210, and uh, my lowest weight was uh, 139 pounds on December, no, I'm sorry, September 21st, 1968, which was my wedding day. Um, and so as you can see, the, oh, and by the way, the highest I ever was was during my divorce. So uh, as you can see, I have an 80-pound working Thing going on here, and that's pretty much how it's been most of my life. Um, I have been able in the last year, a little over a year, to very slowly take off 20 pounds, and um, that's been um, very slow and very reasonable and very moderate and very modest because I have found a way to eat for a woman of my age who is menop- post-menopausal for sure. Um, and, uh, and metabolism and so on and so forth. But that's really not this, that's not the story. The story is that when I came in, well, actually, I first came in in 1983, uh, and I walked into a room in Beverly Hills, and um, there was a big meeting there, and somebody mentioned God, and I said, I'm out of here. Goodbye. <laughs> um, really, that, I mean, you couldn't have told, you couldn't have said a worse thing than that this was a program where you had to believe in God because I had no God. Uh, I did not believe in God. I, I did not believe in anything but the human brain and the human capacity to take care of their own crap, you know, and, and everything else, you know, you're on your own. And that's how it is. You grow up in the streets of New York, that's what you learn. Um, um, and I did come back then three years later on my knees. I mean, just saying, you know, enough people had said to me, ignore the God stuff. Get past it. You're deeply prejudiced. And I was very proud of my prejudice. Um, and, I, and I walked in, you know, um, and, and I just said, okay, I'll listen. I'll listen. I will be try to be open-minded, which, by the way, is not easy for me and um, continues to this day to plague me. Um, but I want you to know, just, let me just fast forward to right now. I live my life by the 12 steps. If I hadn't found these rooms, I don't know where I would have been. I certainly would have continued to be angry, depressed, fearful, sarcastic, hostile, judgmental, arrogant, all of which I can still be today, but gee, not much, you know, maybe 10% of what I used to be. So... um, just so you'll know, I mean, I'm such a convert. It is amazing. I, I'm disgusting, you know. And, and I, I don't proselytize to people because I have learned more and more and more over the years that it just isn't going to work. So I may not be the messenger, and I do not bring this program up to anybody who doesn't ask me about it. My sister died uh, on Valentine's Day in 2005, and she was two years sober in AA and 315 pounds. And she died of complications from obesity. 
And so this is in my family. It's in my genetic makeup. It's, it's there. Okay? And I have no doubt that if 21 and a half years ago I hadn't come here to stay, I'd have been joining her. Right up there, over 300 pounds. And thank you, God, I was spared the alcoholism part. I really was. But I've done cigarettes and a lot of dope and all kinds of stuff. You know, So we're addicts. My family, we're addicts. And that's just how it is. Um, and, and I... I, I I don't remember a time in my life prior to coming to the rooms and for several years afterwards when I did not wake up hating myself because I had once again failed to eat less and be on a weight loss diet. And I do not remember one day, evening of my life going to bed without hating myself because I didn't do it again. I do not remember a day of my life when I didn't binge. And I'm talking disgusting binges that I know many of us in the room know about. But the big ones, the go to 7-Eleven and buy 80 bags of things, you know, and eat them as fast as you can. Uh, unattractive eating. I mean, stuff that you don't want other people to see you doing this. This is, no, but, you know, sad. And so, of course, I hid it because I knew it was ugly and I knew it was animal-like and I knew it was somehow insane, but I couldn't stop it. And I would go to parties and shove food in pockets and go into the bathroom quickly and lock the door and eat everything I could and then come out with a smile and a warm little joke, you know, like nothing was happening. And I hid food under my bed, um, under the mattress. I, I used to babysit as a teenager and they never asked me back because I ate them out of house and home. I ate them out of house and home. I, the minute the parents shut the door to go out, forget the baby sleeping, right to the kitchen, what do they have, what do they have, give it to me. If I could have opened my mouth and inhaled the entire kitchen, I would have been thrilled. And that was every day of my life until I came in these rooms, which was, I was about 40 when I came in the rooms, you guys, so do the math. That's a lot of time binging. I had meals. I had snacks. I ate all day. I didn't. I, I had one big meal all day long, you know. And then in between there were diets, and I did diet very successfully. Usually the first time I would try a diet, I did great. You know, Optifast, I lost 50 pounds and put 60 on. The moment I stopped Optifast, and I always stopped Optifast with a chocolate chip cookie binge which, by the way, is very, very bad for your heart. Just in case you don't, I mean, if you have not been eating solid food and you inject sugar into you, you really, if I didn't have such a healthy heart, I don't know if I'd be standing here today. But I'd always with chocolate chip cookies because that was at that point a big one. There's been many big ones over the years. Um, as a child, I sat in with a huge box of Cheerios and just, I call it hand-to-mouth eating. Boom, 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 boom. And it's, it's the binge mentality. Um, I was scared but I covered it up with a really in front of you, in, in your face personality, which actually didn't develop until I was about seven because before that I was shy and I had a very bad stutter, uh, which, you know, isn't that fascinating? I mean, I really was shy. I remember hiding behind my mother's skirts. Uh, the world terrified me. Somehow I found a way out of the world being terrifying on the surface, but I was still hiding behind my mother's skirts. Uh, my home was chaos. Um, I am not a child of abuse. Thank you, God. I am a child of benign neglect. Um, my father was uh, a very angry and, later on I could find out, scared man uh, who basically roared his way through our childhood. 
My sister was out of control and very difficult. My mother was trying to make peace all the time. And I was her safe place. I was the second child, and I was the place she could come to so that she didn't have to deal with the maniacs. And I got that attention when she was done dealing with them. And I have a, it's probably kind of apocryphal, but I have an image in my head of um, hiding under the dining room table with a big tablecloth and just closing my ears and wishing they would stop, wishing they would stop. There I, I, was so much tension and so much craziness in that house. And I liked outside with my friends and running and playing, but inside it was like, I liked everyone's house except mine. I went to friends' houses all the time. I loved visiting relatives just anywhere but that house. Um, I was, um, oh, there was something I wanted to say. Oh, yes, this is a story I like to tell because I think it so sums us up. My mother says I was a very hungry baby. What a surprise. Um, (laughs) Starting at about two hours, I would cry to be fed, and her doctor had told her it had to be every four hours. And she listened to the doctor, because you did that then, you know, as opposed to now when you don't care. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and basically she said she would stand outside my bedroom door, me crying, door closed, with her hands over her ears and tears streaming down her face because she wasn't allowed to feed me. And once in a while she'd break the rule and go in like 15 minutes early. But that child in that crib got a lot of messages Number one, she was never going to get enough food. There was never going to be enough food. Secondly, she was never, no one's going to hear her. At no time will anyone ever hear her. No one will come. No one will take care of her. No one will hold her. And that message ran me until, again, until I, many years later into the rooms, because I did nothing easily in this room, and nothing came fast to me. Nothing. I struggled every single step of the way. Um... I I had careers. I, you know what? It's so interesting. Everybody said, God, you're, you're so great. I mean, you're doing so great because the career I chose, I did fine in. I was never a big smash, but I was fine. I earned my living. I was good. I was respected by my peers. All good stuff. Um, I had friends. I traveled. There was enough money. Not a lot, but enough. Um, you know, I really, I had an okay, in fact, when I came in and I saw this step one, you know, admitted that our lives had become unmanageable, I am one of the people that came in and said, yeah, 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 excuse me, my life is fine, okay? Yeah, I've been divorced and I've had a few, you know, sexual problems and I get a little irritated and I did, have, I did beat, beat my dog once and had to be torn off my dog before I beat her up, which is kind of sad and very cruel and I'm ashamed of. That's the only time I've ever raised my hand to another living being, by the way. Um, but yeah, you know, and I have some, yeah, I'm depressed. Yeah, sometimes I stay in bed for three weeks at a time <laughs> with packages of things in the bed and crumbs all over the bed. Yeah, you know, so I had some moods. But I was fine. I mean, I had a career and I was earning money and my children were good and, you know, I was raising them alone. Yeah, but, you know, I'm good. I can do this. But just give me the diet. Because I'll know diets. Oh, and did I, you know, somebody said it in the the other day, ask any person in these rooms what good nutrition is, and they know. We all know what we should eat. We know calories. I can look at anything and tell you the calories. It's not a problem. I have information, but so what? It doesn't matter. It simply doesn't matter. I, I didn't know what to do. 
I mean, my information stands me in good stead. I was in therapy for 15 years. I got fabulous information. I'm serious. I loved the fact that I really pretty much know psychologically why and how I tick. Yeah? But they didn't give me the tools to do something about it. They just didn't. And they were good therapists. With, I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. I think it's great. But I didn't know till I came to the rooms and I started attending regularly and very slowly, year by year, I would see it seeping into my soul, kind of like I was a very dry sponge, you know, and a little bit of water at a time. Just And, and the, the old water would come in on top of the new water, which would come on to the new water. And then as time went on, the sponge started becoming moist and productive and, you know, really, really getting it. I never had a pink cloud. Um, I've never had Eureka except once. And this is, yeah, I've had one visit from a higher power. I've had subtle visits from a higher power all over the place, but one glaring one, and that was December 22nd, 1995. Uh, oh, I just wanted to tell you that in all the years I'd been in program, I'd tried 30, me 30 meetings in 30 days and three meals a day with nothing in between and carbohydrates at one meal only, no carbohydrates, no flour, nothing, ta-ta-ta-ta. I'd been to how twice, left each time after a binge because I, will, I can't tolerate feeling deprived. I cannot tolerate it. I will never go on another diet. I walked in here with no more diets left. The reason I walked in here because I went on a diet and I lasted, I think, two hours. I think I paid a lot of money for that diet, too. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I had, none, I had none left. So over the years, what would happen in those okay, five, nine years that I was in program before I got this abstinence that I have today, my eating behaviors, because I'm not just a compulsive overeater. I don't just have allergic foods. I have behaviors that are part of my disease. Behaviors like a second meal and a little extra and eating while I'm making the dinner, you know, and sneaking something and figuring if I don't tell my sponsor it didn't exist. Okay, I have behaviors around food that are sick. Just plain sick. And what happened in those nine years up until December 22nd, 1995, isn't that a great name? I mean, we're going to use a movie with December 22nd, 1995. Anyway, um, what happened up until that time was these eating behaviors started getting smaller, saner, more flowing with the 12 steps, more, I became more spiritual. That's a whole other story how I got my higher power, but I will do that at some point because I have lots of time, don't I? Okay. Um, okay. Um, I have no trouble talking, as you can hear. Um, in December 22, 1995, I was at my agent's office. At my agent's office, they always have huge Christmas stuff, right? Everybody in the industry sends stuff because it's that time of year, and they, put a, they have a big kitchen, and they put this counter out, and on that counter is every cookie, cake, candy, thing, popcorn, name it, all there from big, expensive places, so good stuff. I mean, the good stuff, you know, European good stuff. And they had it every year, and every year I would go in, and I would, not too subtly, bring a couple of bags in my purse. <laughs> and I would load up. And I would smile warmly as I walked out with the bags. Nobody could see what was in the bags, you know, for all they knew I'd been shopping, you know. 
And then I would get in the car and I would start in the car and I would eat in the car and I didn't care who was on the freeway and who was in my way. I would just keep eating and I would get home and I would eat some more and I would say, I don't feel well. And I'd say, I will, and I'd eat some more. And that was my, and that was every year. And that was pretty much around. And then Christmas, go to parties. And I always gained at least 7 to 10 pounds during the end of the year. At least. I mean, I just went nuts. And this particular December 22, 1995, I'm in my agent's office. There's a huge spread, as always. I have my little bags out. I'm looking to see what I'm going to start with. I'm probably going to shove something in my mouth because no one's in the room with me, right? So I can, I can sneak it right now. And I reach for something, and this, it isn't that I heard a voice. It was that a thought came to my mind that if I take this one now, I will never stop. And it was one of those, I mean, as I'm telling you now, I'm feeling it again exactly as it happened at that moment. It was like, oh, the, the thought came to me that I don't actually have to reach for that, which I don't know was a concept I just hadn't been able to grasp, you know, since I'd been in the rooms. I just, you mean I have a choice? I don't have to reach for it? And I want you to know what not being able to stop is. I have a picture, I'm very visual, and I picture in my brain I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, and below the cliff is something like out of Dante, you know, writhing bodies and steam and devils, and it's the pit of despair, and it's where I lived before I came to the rooms. I lived in that despair, even if I went two or three days in joy or happiness, because of course I did have some happiness, I mean, you know, some I would always go back to that place, that pit of despair, where I knew that light sucked and there was no way to, really, why was I bothering? And I never really thought about suicide, but I sure thought about not living. It just felt like a more comfortable place to be. In that moment, in my agent's office, there was that realization that if I didn't take that, I could avoid that pit, because that pit... Was always, even in the rooms after nine years after I'd been here the, the despair was there and I didn't and that was sugar I have been abstinent from sugar which was probably my number one binge food since December 22, 1995 and that was a higher power moment for sure needless to say because I didn't put that thought in my mind I'm sorry because that's not my mind my natural mind is insane I am insane and that, uh, around food. I'm actually fairly sane otherwise, but the food is just off the scale. I mean, so that was one higher power moment, and I do want to talk about my higher power, by the way, for a moment. For those of you who are struggling at all with the higher power thing, I still do not have that higher power, the old man in the sky with the beard who has a ledger and decides who's going to live and who's going to die. I do not have that. I do not have the higher power that gets me parking spaces. <laughs> I can't. I, I, I did, and by the way, this is very important. This is my experience only. I'm not telling anyone what to believe, needless to say. I think you all have been around long enough to know that that's, that's how it works. But my higher power came to me in a dream, again, a visual, and it was about two years before the miracle of my, of my abstinence from sugar. 
And um, see, I, I mean, I, I knew what I wanted in a higher power. I just wanted some comfort and some company and a little love. And I certainly didn't want judgment. I was beating myself up enough for any eight people. I didn't need anyone doing that to me. It simply wasn't going to work, you know. So I knew I'd like that, but I really was acting as if for seven years. And, you know, it was okay, and I was learning, and I was, again, modifying the food behaviors and coming along and going to meetings and speaking and, you know. And I had a dream. And what I recalled in the dream was something which is so interesting. Again, um, God, 15 years earlier I'd been in Rome, and I, is it Rome or Florence that has the, the Michelangelo Pieta with the uh, Mary? So Mary, the, the, the Mary is sitting there on a chair, and the adult Jesus is lying in her lap, dead. And um, she has these wonderful robes. And I, there's something about that picture. I am not Catholic. I, 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 it's not my thing. I simply looked at that picture, and I knew, I knew, I knew. That's all. I knew. I was there. And I took that picture home, and I had it on my wall for years, just a little postcard, you know, on my, on my bulletin board. And that night I had a dream, and there was this figure in a cloak, and it was faceless, but it was female. And it was like she had this cloak, and she opened her arms and her cloak, and she wrapped me in the cloak. And I have a picture of myself as a child standing with all the tall people and I have my arms up for a hug and no one picks me up. I mean, that's just the picture. And I think it was probably fairly valid. Uh, they were too busy. Um, in that dream, this cloaked figure picked me up. And that's my higher power. It's a visual image. It's mine. It's no one else's. I mean, you can have it. You can certainly share it. Oh, no. In fact, I've said people over the years, if this helps you, take it. But this particular thing is mine in that when there's death, I have friends with cancer. I have seen friends through. Uh, I have seen friends through. Needless to say, we buried 30 friends from AIDS. Uh, two friends with cancer. I was their power of attorney person that told the doctor to turn off the machine. I mean, I've been through death a lot. I've been through pain and anger. I have a very difficult child and a very easy one. I've been through a very bad divorce. He died after we divorced. I raised two children alone. It was not easy. And I have had all these experiences. And all I've ever wanted, I've never thought God was doing any of that, at least to God's credit. I didn't have that God. God, because that, that just, just makes me nuts. What I have is a God that when shit happens, because life is filled with chaos, pain, agony, hard work, name it. Life is not fair. It just is. And when life happens to me, I can wrap myself in a cloak. And not a cloak that separates me but a cloak that warms me and fills me and lets me get through whatever I need to get through, not alone. I mean, I think the food, to a great extent, was the company I never had. The, um, the uh, what? The, 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 the parents. The, uh, you know, parents are supposed to love their children unconditionally. I was not loved uh, very much by my father or my sister, and my mother loved me a lot with conditions. So I have in this cloak um, unconditional love. And 
when I have the feeling of unconditional love, which, which really literally fills me up, feeling like, it feels like warm milk, you know, it's just a lovely feeling, then I can get through the mourning, the pain, the decisions, the difficulty, the patience that's required to deal with a difficult child, etc. Um, so that's my higher power. And that's how, because I did walk in and hurt the God thing and almost left, and I haven't really changed. In a way, I could say, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say that I'm an, a- an atheist, but, you know, we're borderline here. Uh, because, I, again, I, I, I am an atheist as concerns that classical Judeo-Christian God. That's all. So I offer that to you in case you're having any struggles because it might, it might help. Um, so 11 years ago, I, uh, I got free of sugar. And I'm very glad I finally got an abstinence, you know. But I was still large, the 20 pounds larger than I am today. And by the way, I'd like to lose another 20 pounds, but if I don't, you know, I'm okay. I have, I have a career that doesn't require me to be thin. I'm very healthy. I have lovely clothing. I have a man who adores my body exactly as it is. You know, I, I'm okay. I have some vanity. You know, it would be great. I'd like to be a size smaller. But, you know, it's not that big a deal. But that 20 pounds was very important because it just made me feel I've been in these rooms all these years and I'm still not losing weight. I had stopped eating in between meals. I had stopped sugar. I had, my bread was very controllable. I will never give up bread. Thank you. I will feel deprived. But I have learned how to eat it in a very sane and rational manner. And I can have chips in a very sane and rational manner. Never in my house, ten chips counted out at a Mexican restaurant. On the napkin, ten chips, and that's what I have. I've learned how to do that, portion the things that are potentially problematic. Half a cup of cereal in the morning, not the whole box. You know, that kind of thing. But I still wasn't losing weight. And I finally, a doctor said, and again, I have been through menopause in this program, and for those of you who are older, you do understand that our bodies do change. They do slow down. We usually put ten pounds on after menopause. Most of us, not everybody, of course, but... And our metabolism slows down so that if we're exercising, we need to up the exercise and eat less. What a concept. Eat less, exercise more. I mean, seriously, you know, that's the kind of thing that people would say to me before I came to the rooms. Well, why don't you just eat less? And, of course, you want to take a knife and stab it into their hearts. I mean, stab it. How Do you have any idea? No. Well, they didn't. They didn't. And, in fact, my boyfriend is a normie. And we have these discussions, and he, Jehovah, he can say is, I don't get it, but I'm keeping my mouth shut. And I say, good, that's all you have to do. Not my problem, you know. Anyway, um, so about, I guess it was April of last year, I began working with a sponsor who, oh, and over the years, my sponsors, ugh, the best. Each one brought me new things. It was funny. With one sponsor, I got the abstinence from sugar. With another sponsor, I got um, the, the stopping, the grazing, and the snacking. And another sponsor uh, was very spiritual. And I think part of her influence had me have that dream uh, of my higher power. So each sponsor has brought me different things, but not every sponsor is for everything. And about April of last year, I asked someone to sponsor me who has a fabulous program, 120-pound weight loss that she's kept off for 10 years, Fabulous. In that time, working with her, I became willing to commit my food in the morning and have a real food plan. I had fought weighing and measuring the entire time I've been in the rooms because it feels like a diet, and I cannot, again, I cannot stand feeling deprived or like I'm on a diet. It just doesn't work. But I had committed, you know, reasonable, moderate meals. I was able to say moderate meals, and I kind of learned what moderate was, kind of. And with this sponsor, she was a little more 
pushy and insistent that you know, I said to her, I want to lose at least 20 pounds. And she said, what are you willing to do about that? Well, if I keep wanting it my way, I'm not going to get the results, am I? I mean, I learned that all these rooms, all these years in these rooms. My way doesn't work. My way is actually pretty much usually the wrong way, you know. So I became willing to commit to food in the morning. And I also became willing to talk to my doctor because, again, postmenopausal, what is the best thing? And he said that he thought I should eat five times a day, which somebody in here just said. And, of course, that was anathema to me because that will mean I'll be snacking again and that will open the floodgate and I will want to eat the house again. I mean, I, I really was so scared about snacking and snacks again. But he said, no, you should eat, you know, and, and he gave me a, a book. It, it, it's not important. Just a book that sort of taught me about portions and things like that. And, you know, and I said, okay, I'm willing to try this. And that was how I lost the 20 pounds. Again, losing... If you do the math, 20 pounds in 13 months, it's not a big, huge, it's not a diet. What it is is a gradual change. My body seems to like eating more often, which sets up the, you know, the digestive system, which sets up the, you know, and then I do. I have, I have up my exercise from two or three times a week to three or four times a week and sometimes five, and it's helped, and I hope to continue doing that. So... That's how the weight loss happened. My willingness to listen to an old-timer who really, really had a very strict program. However, I didn't really like her very much. This is, this is the truth. I kept trying to like her more than I could. Um, I kept saying, God, she has all this stuff I want. It must be my fault. It must be my problem that I'm not getting along with her. And it isn't, wasn't that I'm getting along. I dreaded calling her. I dreaded call. I tried to talk about it with her a couple of times. She wasn't real good at those sort of let's discuss our emotions kind of discussions. She was very black and white. This is how it happened. But that, 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 which I thought was good for me because I need a little bit of a black and white abstinence now. So, okay. Anyway, we stopped working together about two months ago, and it's fine. And I thanked her from the, after the initial, she, she by the way, dismissed me. I had never been dismissed by a, a, sponsor, a sponsor before. It didn't really hurt that much. I felt more relief than anything else. And I also thought she has some problems because she didn't tell me about this. But that's taking her inventory. And the bottom line was, at some point, we'll have a nice talk about it and it'll be okay. I mean, that's how relaxed I was about it. It was amazing. The biggest feeling I had was relief because when you're dreading talking to somebody and you can't talk to them about how you're dreading talking to them, then that's perhaps problematic, you know. Um, so anyway, I have a new sponsor now who is uh, uh, nothing like any bun in my life and is warm and lovely and talks to me about anything I want to talk to her about and has a lovely program and I feel supported and cared about. And that's right now what I need. So this, this all works great. Um, what else? My character defects. Um, I would say probably the biggest one that comes up the most of the time is my arrogance about my brain. I have an excellent brain. Um, it, uh, it, has, uh, it has stood me in good stead for much of my life. It, has, it is the absolutely worst thing you can have when you're in a 12-step program. It, uh, it, wants, it wants to figure everything out, get the secret, and leave, number one. But it also knows better than anybody else how to do everything else. It just knows. And I was taught to nourish this brain and reward it and take care of it and be proud of it. Um, it is in my way, and I have a, a somebody, a friend, 
Joan, sitting in the room, who I love to talk to and say, oh, I'm in my arrogant mode again. Here I am. You know, I know how that one should do it, and this one should do it, and this one thing, and why doesn't this one see this? And blah, blah, blah. The good news is I think it only. I would like to be relieved of thinking it. Probably ain't going to happen. Okay? But I don't act on it. I don't tell them how they should live their lives. I don't figure out their lives for them. I don't give them advice. I was the champion advice giver. And it isn't that what I was advising them on was particularly wrong. It was pretty good, smart kind of things. But as soon as I'm giving advice, I'm in my disease. It's a giveaway. The minute I open my mouth and give advice to anyone, if they haven't asked for it, if they want feedback, I am glad to share. But if they haven't asked for advice and I just can't wait to tell them what they should do, I am in my disease. I am number one in my disease. And that is a very big character defect because, you know, I like people and I want to be kind to them. My daughter is home. She's 33 years old. She's probably one of us, but she's not at the stage yet where she can admit it. And she's difficult and moody and brilliant and wonderful, and I adore her. And she's home, and all weekend I've gone... <laughs> it's been... I mean, I know how she should be living her life. Come on. And then I say, wait a minute. I'm 64 years old. I know how to live my life only because I've lived 64 years. She doesn't get to know this at 33. She has to go through whatever journey she has to go through so she can get to something approaching some semblance of ease with life and acceptance of it, you know. She's judgmental and she's pissy and you should see her in the car. She's, I drive, but she's, she's filled with all the road rage anyone could, could want. And I'm thinking, you know, and I don't do road rage anymore. And I did so much road rage for so many years. Everyone was out to get me and those, those people were just signal for God's sake and, my, and judgment on cars and sizes and people and penis sizes. I mean, you know. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was all there. Okay, so I don't do that anymore because of the steps. Okay, I don't give advice because of the steps. Okay, I don't give advice because it's none of my business. My, my sponsees love me because I say, what's your side of the street? I don't really want to listen to this list of what's wrong with this human being you're having trouble with. Frankly, that's their business. What is your side of the street? What character defects are coming up that we can work on through the steps? Because that's, I'm not there to be their best friend, their mother, their shrink. I'm there to give them the steps, you know? So that's how I live my life. It truly is. And I would say that 95% of the time I live in joy, which is fairly unusual, you know, especially nowadays. And it isn't that the world doesn't affect me and I don't have opinions about politics and the world and name it. Of course I do. It's a terrible place we live in. It's truly a terrible place in many, many ways. But I have a personal joy, so I can put it in perspective and say, what can I do about this today? I cannot go over to the Middle East and fix it, so I just have to live my life one day at a time. It's really the only way I can do it. Let me see. Arrogance, pride, fear, procrastination, defiance, defensiveness, denial, self-loathing, judgmentalism, complacency, comparison, and impatience. That's my list of character defects. I recite it every single morning. I ask my higher power to remove it every single morning. Most of the time, not really. doesn't get removed too much, but I think this is really 
progress. I see them when it's coming up. You know, when it's coming up, I feel it. I know it. There's something that feels off, a little warning, a little tap on the shoulder saying, mm, you're in that one right now. And that just means shut, shut your mouth. That's what it means. Do not act on it. You may be impatient, but remember that impatience is one of your character defects. And that means right now you're in your disease. And what do we do when we're in our disease? Okay. We make a phone call if it's really bad. We write about it. We just close our eyes and pray and ask to have it removed if it's not too much in in your face. You know, I mean, that's what I do. I do everything through the 12 steps. I'm a little self-conscious sometimes about how much I do it. But you know what? It works for me. I want, I, you know what, I, I am going to stop now because I would love questions. I, I, I think I've talked enough. Uh, yeah, I'm one of those people put a, open the refrigerator and I do 20 minutes. So it's real easy, you know. So I'd love to take questions. Anybody have anything they'd like to ask? Oh, thanks. I can keep, I, I, uh, what? I repeat the question if somebody asks it. Yes. What's your name? Hi, Melanie. Hi, Melanie. What's, what's your question? How do I deal with exercise? Yeah. It's one of the things that I just hate doing and make myself do it anyway. And, of course, while I'm doing it, I love it. But I don't have, I'm not compulsive about it. I'd love to be a compulsive exerciser, except I don't want to be, you know, you know what I'm saying. I would love to feel more um, mellow about the fact that I must exercise four to times, times a week. I don't. I fight it all the time. My disease is very strong that way. I can talk myself out of anything. And, if, and sometimes it works. I talk myself out of doing it. And I never like myself when I do. But the good news is I never let it go on for two, two days in a row. But I don't have experience with that, Melanie. I'm not going to be a big help. I can tell you that I am compulsive about my food and I use the steps. I mean, I guess if I were compulsive about exercising, I would ask my higher power to point out to me when I was in the compulsive part of my disease and then use the steps the sponsor, the writing, the higher power, the literature to help me through it. That's what I guess I would do. Any other questions? Yes? How much fruit do you eat? Oh, uh, you, want, you want to ask me how much fruit I eat? In other words, you'd like to have more information on my actual food plan? I would be glad to talk about that afterwards. I don't think that I'm actually here to tell you what I eat. I have no problem telling you what I eat, but it's just this isn't a diet. Okay? Good. And I will be glad to talk to you afterwards. Yes, anybody else? And if not, what else can I say? Hmm, let's fill this time. <laughs> um, yes, Joan. Uh, what what are, do you do in the morning? Oh, okay, good. My morning stuff. Before I leave the house, and I don't always do it the minute I wake up, sometimes I do it an hour later, I say, I say and I make sure I mean the serenity prayer, the first three steps, the third step prayer, the list of my character defects, and the seventh step prayer. I often find myself doing it in a kind of a, by rote, and as soon as I catch myself doing it rote, I have to do it over again. In other words, I have to really hear the the stuff. Um, I'm very bad at meditating. I've never been great at it. I think I need to really take some action on that at some point. It's not up for me yet. I have four sponsees who call me every morning. I call my sponsor three times a week. I'm on an, I email my food to my sponsor every morning. That's seven days a week. And I have an online loop from the Voices of Recovery book, which I happen to love. 
we share every morning on that. So that by the time I leave the house, oh, and I go to, again, three morning meetings a week. So, you know, the AA people have to pretty much to really keep what they want. They go every day. And yet a lot of us bitch about going once or twice a week. The fact is that if I am not reminded every morning of my life that I have a disease that is incurable, but that can be arrested through the 12 steps and the eight traditions, I mean, you know, and the 12 traditions and the eight tools and a higher power and everybody in the room and the meetings and all that stuff. If I don't remind myself of that every morning, I'll forget. I will absolutely forget and I'll be back in the food. And that pit of despair that I, I described is waiting for me right around the corner. Anytime I want it, it's there. You know, so that's real important to me. Good question. Thank you. Yes. Hi, David. Hi, David. I interview with uh, people that have been battling this all my life, just like you. And people go into these programs, other programs, they lose 30, 40, 50 pounds. They really make you know that they did it with these other programs. And I've tried them all, and I'm back in these ones. How do I deal with them? Yeah. Oh, I thank them for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ser- seriously, you know what? I, I, I've given up the battle. I... I, I will admit to an immediate reaction of I can't stand that kind of smugness. And why can't I stand that kind of smugness? Because I've been there. I've been there. I too had the answer. And I told everyone about it before the rooms. Now I think, and I say, I'm so glad that worked for you. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. That's I my, and even if I think you smug asshole, okay? <laughs> I was going to watch my language. Why didn't you? Um, yeah, and I do think it. But I also know when I'm thinking that, I'm in the character defect of judgmentalism. And I'm also in the character defect of recognizing in someone else exactly what I have in me. That's it. That's it. Goodbye. Thank you.